Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation. And stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May the service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so, before we continue to submerge into the inheritance, the depths and riches of our inheritance, the unchanging epigraph of our study of our inheritance is the book of Luke 24, 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written in about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Saying these words, Jesus began to distance himself from them, and the cloud took him from their sight. The disciples continued to look up into the sky. They did not expect such an event to occur. Jesus was always appearing and disappearing, and they did not expect that he would leave them in this way or form. They kept looking up, thinking that he right now will return. And then two men appeared and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand and, and look up? The very same Jesus who was taken from you will return the exact same way how you saw him going into the sky, in the very same way. <clears throat> and he uh, had brought them to this mountain and before their eyes, giving them, them this instruction that everything that was written about me has been fulfilled. And... After these words, he began to go in to, he began to distance himself from them. This means that our rapture will occur in the very same way. And somehow we will know in what day we will be raptured. We will not know exactly the uh, day or hour that Son of Man will come, but in that day, the day when we will be raptured, 
we will know. We won't know before then, but the day, in that day, we will know as Prophet Elijah knew. God had revealed to him, and not just to him, but also to the other prophets did he reveal that he is going to take him today from the earth. And so, we soon will be witnesses of this long-awaited event that Christianity has been waiting for now for 20 generations, 2,000 years. And he says, I soon will come. But he talked about his signs, the signs of the times. He says, when these things will begin to take place, then will you know that the time is coming. We today truly are seeing these signs. I won't talk about these signs right now, but about how we need to be to be able to meet him with with boldness and not hide our faces because when we find out about this we will tell everyone we know and those whom we know for the most part will become afraid because only then will they understand the difference between those who serve God and those who don't because only then will they understand that the service that they had been uh, doing was not service to God. It's good that we, as the participants of the body of Christ, share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about Him in Scripture. And so being a part of the body of Christ is that we are within the Church of Saints, a church that is in accordance to the demands of a body of Christ, the virtuous wife, the good wife, who has the status of the, of the narrow gate. If a church is not a door through which a person may be able to enter heaven, this narrow gate, there are many churches, but such a church that has a narrow door and narrow gate, <clears throat> a narrow path and narrow gate, it's hard to find her. Many are trying to find such a church because many churches are just the wide gate. It's very easy to go in by them. You can drink. You can smoke, you can commit all kinds of other uh, sinful sexual acts, you can be jealous, you can be, be upset, you can lie, you can speak evil of one another. Yeah, from the stage they'll say something and read something, but who are these people that are standing on this stage? These are those that we have been vote that we have voted for. Uh, democratically or these who, people whom God has sent and so that's why sometimes people say or ask the question what well, only your church I I tell them first this is not our church this is the church of Christ the church of Christ and to judge rather God is truly present within a church <clears throat> is not for them to judge because they won't understand how to determine that difference uh, to find out whether he's there. If you think that if in the church everything is moving and there's supernatural uh, events taking place, miracles, that God is there, then you are in deception. There's another power that can also do these things, these great uh, signs and miracles and, and make things very active and outwardly it's very hard to differentiate. And so to be able to differentiate, you need to study uh, where the good church is, the narrow gate. And so to be a part or partaker of the narrow gate, the good wife. 
this is the good wife. And so we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, who reveals the truth in our heart, what we need to do from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. <clears throat> this is the calling of a person, every person of God who is born from God. And if they are not told, that does not mean that he's that does not mean that he's innocent or not guilty. They do read the scriptures, but they don't understand them. Why? Because to understand or comprehend what is written in scripture, uh, people who have been voted for democratically, they're not given that ability. They steal from one another. The Lord said, the Holy Spirit said this, and I responded, um, but they can't understand what they're reading. They steal. They find the churches and the people uh, that they can steal from. Do you know how many people that speak evil against us, they attentively listen. As soon as the church uh, finishes, they immediately listen, uh, take out specific uh, things that they like, and then they pervert or change them up, uh, and and then they preach them. They directly can't uh, pervert the scriptures, but they do them uh, by the interpretation. They interpret the way they think, and they select only the things they like. One gentleman actually told me, yes, I only chose the things that were profitable to me or uh, things I liked. These are pastors that they were as if in our uh, part of our church, our service, uh, they began to admit that, yes, I did those things. I selected the things I only liked. And so you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful lusts to be made new by the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. This very same thought is described uh, in another book of Apostle Paul to the Church of the Colossians. And so this is our calling. And to fulfill this decreeing commandment, we need to put three destiny impacting, commanding, and fundamental fundamental acts into practice and these are to put off be renewed and put on fulfilling these three destiny impacting commanding and fundamental requirements will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath or more specifically will our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a seed identifying the security deposit of our justification in the given to us salvation where we need to turn the three above-mentioned acts into profit within the death of our Lord Jesus so that our salvation can become our possession in the format of the fruit of righteousness. Otherwise, we will forever lose the justification that is given to us in the format of this deposit. And as a result, then, our names will be written or that were written to the Book of Life will be blotted out of the Book of Life. And so these three requirements that we need to fulfill. They identify the deposit of our justification and they, and so if we take this calling and we begin to study it and we grow within it, then are we able to receive then our salvation as our own possession? This is 
it's very unfortunate that people who repent, they come to God, they are not told that they receive salvation in the format of this uh, deposit and that this seed will not save them. They tell them, you received salvation. You, They need to be told you received a deposit of salvation. You are given salvation in the form of a seed, in the format of a, of a deposit. And it needs to be grown. And if the seed does, is not grown within your heart, you will not be saved. You will be blotted out of the book of life. Yes, you received salvation. You make a covenant with God in the baptism of water. But even this baptism of water, you make it in the format of a deposit because it is not yet familiar to you what the covenant is. If a, do you, Is a person coming to God familiar with a God's law? Or do they know what what is pleasing to God and what isn't, or good to God and what isn't? A person still needs to learn and learn and learn to be able to know those things. In a specific format, we already looked at the process contained in the first two requirements and stopped to study the process of the third requirement and specifically what conditions we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person who is created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. And so we already know to clothe ourselves into our new person is to confess with our gentle or meek mouth the faith of our heart, specifically with our gentle mouth. If your mouth is not gentle or meek, this means that your heart also does not have this gentleness, it does not have this truth. It can't be that the heart be gentle but the mouth not be. Only a gentle or meek mouth that confesses the faith of the heart and the heart also has this state, only they are able to clothe themselves into their new person and proclaim the not existent as existent. Which is why we stopped to study the allegory contained in the 18th Psalm of David where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon or God Most High because David in the Psalm calls God El Elyon and he had written this Psalm when God delivered him from the hands of all of his enemies and Saul. And this condition consists in us calling upon the Most High as to our God and proclaiming the faith of our heart when we are in the circumstances of our tight situation or difficult situation, casting off our old man, stating who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who we are to God in Jesus Christ by the fact of our or origin or our birth from God, from the seed of the word of truth, and what do we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. What price do we need to pay? What conditions do we need to fulfill? <clears throat> because everything is offered to us freely. Uh, these emissaries uh, of deception, they offer everything freely. But the scriptures say this is a deception. This is a deception. Uh, what is free is usually cheese in a mouse trap, but typically nothing is given free. The kingdom of heaven, the scriptures say, you have to press into it. You need to uh, put forth your effort, and by putting forth effort, you then grow this seed into fruit of salvation. To grow the seed of the kingdom of heaven, 
because Jesus came not to preach salvation, just simply as salvation. It is there, but he came to preach the kingdom of heaven. He said that the kingdom of of heaven has come. He, he preached about this kingdom of heaven, and he's preached the salvation in the kingdom of heaven. And people had separated, have decided to separate salvation and the kingdom of heaven. And so for the kingdom of heaven, you need to pay a price, but salvation, they say you don't need to pay a price. This is a gift of God's grace. Yes, it's a gift of God's grace, but given in a form of a seed. It's in a form of a security deposit, but it doesn't become, uh, salvation doesn't become our own yet. For it to become your own, you need to grow it. And to be able to grow it, you need to know how to grow it, how to prepare the soil of your heart. Because when we are born from God, our spirit has been born from God our body, something new appeared that wasn't there before. Their old man was there with his deeds, who governed over our mind and our emotions. And right now, suddenly, in another has appeared, another person, and now two people within the body. This person, he truly is inherent to God uh, in nature, but our body or our soul and body remain the same and so that's why in scripture it's constantly talking about saving your soul and so those who have received salvation and the salvation that you've received with that save your soul and so people who come to God uh, even spending five minutes to explain that difference uh, there would not be such a uh, foolish things taking place in churches. They say you can drink, you can smoke, you can do whatever you want. You could be a homosexual, you could be a lesbian. God loves everyone. When actually God loves only His own, those who are in His likeness, those who love Him, and those who prove their love, they fulfill His commandments. We note that the given allegory is one of the most powerful and voluminous examples this allegory, the 18th Psalm of David, it is written in the format of an allegory. It demonstrates the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and the name of God Most High and their violent conflict with our carnal mind in the form of King Saul and also with governing sin, who is our old person with his deeds. And so these three kings living in one body, this is truly too many and they all are in battle to take control of our body and the field is our heart and the king that we give preference to is the one that will take hold of our body this is the one that will rule or govern over our body in its character the prayer psalm of david as we know contains three parts where we see demonstrated an example of the character of our legitimate prayer belonging to us as kings priests and prophets and if we don't possess the status of a king a priest and a prophet of the Lord then we are not able to be warriors in prayer and so when we pray then our prayers will be uh, looked at by God as the prayer of Hagar in the wilderness or one who does not belong to God's temple, to his sanctuary. And again, people have been lied to that every time they pray, they enter into God's sanctuary, they come before God's face, and God listens to them. The first part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer, which is the required basis 
for the legitimate status of his prayer. The legitimate status is the fact that he has a built altar that is sanctified, that is in accordance to the requirements of God's will. And upon this altar, are you able to bring offerings uh, to offer your prayer? The second part opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer itself, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis that he needs to deliver us in the image of David from the hand of all of our enemies and the hand of Saul, our carnal mind. He is the most uh, cruel type of enemy. Third part illustrates the prayer battle itself. It contains an epic genre which is beyond the limitations of the typical human mind of man, which we, collaborate with, collaborating with the Holy Spirit, we are uh, working to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ, and for this we need to first save our soul. In a specific format, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High. Getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David, consisting in these eight names of God Most High, allowed God and, or allowed David and will allow us to love and call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised so that we can be saved from our enemies. It's not possible to love the Lord if you don't know Him. If a person is just reading the scriptures, he can't understand him to love him. Only when someone interprets this who is sent by God, then we suddenly begin to understand who God is to us, who he is. All want to understand that. Who is this Heavenly Father? He calls himself our Heavenly Father, but who is he? And we begin to understand him uh, and compare him uh, to our fathers. Not many of our fathers are those who uh, would represent God's fatherhood or fathership. And so that's why it says, uh, fathers, do not irritate your children, but discipline them in the teachings of the Lord. But to discipline them, you need to yourself be disciplined in the teaching and instructions of the Lord and God getting to know and confessing the truth that is that opens up the power of his names within the heart of David provided God with a legitimate basis to use the power contained in the capabilities of his names in battle against the enemies of David and this he will do using our lips and the lips of David he used he, he will be applying using these capabilities of his names the power of his names uh, using the confessions of our mouth everything God does with us he does uh, using the confessions of our mouth upon the condition that they confess the faith of our heart or the truth, the undamaged truth that is within the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies, Psalm 18, 1 through 4. And so let us together now proclaim who God is to us in Jesus Christ. This is a very important part. This is not just simple 
uh, proclamation. This is not just something as a habit. I want this to be an event because for God, it is very important when we gather together and unanimously together in union, unitedly, we speak these things. When the Church of Christ proclaims before him who he is uh, to us, who the Heavenly Father is in Jesus Christ and the angels listen, this is the best music for the ears of our Heavenly Father. And so together, Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock in whom I take refuge. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. Lord, you are my stronghold. These eight names that are actually diluted within all of the remaining names of God and we will find all of God's names in these eight and every individual name of God has its own power and has its own specific function which is why we need to study them so that we understand what name to use when we have a need and what name of God we need to utilize in prayer as much as the Lord has allowed and according to the measure of our faith he allows us to know himself looking at the measure of our faith he doesn't give in measure we uh, limit the understanding or knowledge we receive of God uh, in ourselves we already studied our inherited lot in Christ Jesus in the power of six names of God and these are strength rock fortress deliver living rock and living shield and stop to study our unsearchable inherited lot in Jesus Christ in the name of God the horn of our salvation getting to know the eight names of God which identify God's covenant with us why eight names because here David he notes uh, the covenant of God when you uh, focus upon God's holiness you will proclaim ten names of God when you uh, are focusing upon the order of God, you will be proclaiming 12 names. When you are focusing upon the fullness of God or wholesomeness of God, you will be speaking of seven names or proclaiming seven names. But God is, or David here, is focused upon God's covenant because God promised David and vowed to him, and he's taking this oath or vow, and it's only existing within a covenant. And so he brings forth eight names which belong to the covenant. And so these names, getting to know these eight names of God that identify God's covenant with us is a strategic teaching as well as a tactical teaching which is purposed to be the calling of every warrior in prayer which we are called to clothe into as a mantle and as a holy garment so that we can clothe ourselves, clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ and take control of our body if a person who is born from God has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over his calling which is his mortal body in the status of a king, priest and prophet so that he can change it into a heavenly body then the revelation about God consisting 
of his glorious name horn that is purposed for worshiping God in spirit and in truth will not benefit him in any way because due to his stiff neck he has refused the given to him by God calling to save his soul to then by the means of his saved soul to adopt his body by the truth that is contained in the redemption of Christ therefore the quality and lexicon which we will we have been studying identifying the name of God containing the function of the horn of our salvation as with the previous names of God most high are not able to be found in any dictionary of the world considering the fact that in scripture the symbol of the name of God horn presenting the symbol and standard of his might which contains the eternal non-diminishing potential of the non-exhaustive and countless abilities and powers of God with which he created the heavens and the earth including mankind and with which he keeps and watches over his world for judgment at the great and white throne I will remind us of the list the might the mighty power and authority of God in his glorious name horn it is this not a com it's not a complete list and so it is the sacral work that is being done in the temple of our body it is the non-diminishing unsearchable nature of the power of God and his strength and when we're referring to sacral this is an offering it's linked to an offering the non-diminishing unsearchable nature of the power of God in his strength it is the eternal and unquestionable power of God over the living and dead it is the power of the might of God to keep those that are condemned to death the power of the might of God showing that death is unavoidable the power of the might of God to perform judgment and righteousness by his servants the power of the might of God to demonstrate his wrath over the vessels of wrath and his mercy to vessels of mercy the power of the might of God to sow and gather what was sown the power of the might of God to split and separate the power of the might of God to destroy and to construct or build the power power of God to restore what is destroyed the power of the might of God to blot out the sins of his nation the power of the might of God to perform signs and miracles and the power of the might to blot out the names of sinners from the book of life we need we need to consider that the list of the mighty works of God in his glorious name horn concealed in the non-diminishing non-exhaustive and unsearchable works of God accomplished by him using the mouth of holy men that are led by the Holy Spirit who have paid the required price for the absolute and sought after dependence upon the Holy Spirit the functions that are contained in the name of God horn as all of the previous names of God within the relationship of God and man first makes themselves known in the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God that are imprinted and abide within our heart and consist in the covenant of blood salt and peace that is made between us and God in the baptism of water and Holy Spirit and fire in scripture the name of God in the functioning meaning horn is used as a symbol of might and strength which is military weaponry or armor for warriors and prayer and so everywhere where it's referring to God's might and strength it's referring to a horn because the horn has this might and this power and as warriors in prayer we are called to clothe ourselves into the given function of might so that we can successfully resist the organized powers of darkness who resist us or get in our way of fulfilling the will of God both within our body as well as out of our body as it is written finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might Ephesians 6 10 
be strong in the consistency of the horn of salvation or what is within it. In scripture, the symbol of the horn of an animal, as we know that grows from him, from his body, symbolizes one of the unique names of God that in the form of the preach to a seed of the word about the kingdom of heaven within our body contains the eternal, non-diminishing and unsearchable potential of the might of God in his name horn. <clears throat> it is necessary for us to study under what circumstances and fulfilling what conditions are we called to collaborate our faith with the name of God horn to destroy within our body the stronghold of death and in its place erect the stronghold of eternal life identifying the kingdom of heaven within our body. <clears throat> First, we need for the kingdom of heaven to be governing within our body. And when it governs within our body, and so confessing the, and so it governs our heart, it needs to first govern our heart, and then by confessing, uh, or because of confession, we can then clothe our body. And to study this great and good goal, being the greatest and unchanging will of God in the form of our first, most, or primary purpose and our primary calling, it is necessary for us to answer four classical questions. First, in what works, signs, and symbols do we see demonstrated the characteristics and qualities that the scriptures ascribe the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of his name, Horn? What functions in our relationship with God are the qualities contained in the name of God, Horn, called to fulfill? What conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can provide God with the legitimate grounds that he needs to show himself in the accomplishment of our salvation in the functioning name Horn? <clears throat> and by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether God abides within our heart in the function of his name Horn and that we are clothed into the virtue of his name Horn? We stop to study the first question, in what works, signs, and symbols do we see demonstrated the characteristics which the scriptures ascribe the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of his name, Horn. Considering, therefore, that all of the previous and forthcoming names of God, which have become subjects that we have been studying, will be found and revealed in the name of God, Horn, as they are discovered in one the other, flow one from the other, and in this way identify the truthful nature of one the other. Six identifying functions of God in the might of his name Horn have already been components of study. I will shortly remind us of their essence and we will continue to the next ones. First, the name of God Horn called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart in the might and glorious power of God identifies and makes itself known in the virtue of the Heavenly Father that are revealed by him in the Son of God and the status of the Son of Man who is born from the Virgin Mary. <clears throat> that the priest uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, that you have brought forth to us, and he he had stated the horn of salvation, and he called him this horse, this uh, horn of salvation. Second, the name of God, horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in a church where they offer their means with all of their heart in the equivalence of money to build their body into a temple of the Holy Spirit. Third, the name of God Horn called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart in the might and glorious power of God makes itself known in the covenant of God with, with 
with man that is made with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. Fourth, the name of God horn called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart in the might and glory of glorious power of God makes itself known in the format of the shown to us holiness in the obedience of our faith with the faith of God. Fifth, the name of God horn called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart in the might and glorious power of God makes itself known in the horn that is filled with oil to anoint us as warriors in prayer in the virtue of a king, priest, and prophet. Sixth, the name of God horn called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart in the might and glorious power of God makes itself known in the four horns which come out of the bronze altar. And seventh, the name of God horn called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart in the might and glorious power of God makes itself known within the temple of our body in the four golden horns which come out of the golden altar. You shall make an altar to... Uh, to burn incense on, you shall make it of acacia wood. The Egyptian tree, a cubit, shall be its length and a cubit its width. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it, its top, its sides all around and its horn with pure gold and you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. You shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Exodus 30, 1 through 6. The Lord reveals himself not at the bronze altar, <clears throat> but the golden altar of, of burned incense. And so this is the instruction of how to build it. We need to build ourselves not into a, just a bronze altar of burnt offering, that within our heart identified the motives of our heart. But we also need to build ourselves into a golden altar of burnt incense in the given situation so that God can demonstrate himself in the Eden of our heart in the non-diminishing and unsearchable might of his name Horn. It is necessary for us to build ourselves into the bronze altar of burnt offering within the temple of our body, but also into the golden altar of incense. The altar for burnt incense was made of the same materials that the altar of burnt offering was made, acacia wood, which is why I won't spend more time explaining what acacia wood is. Acacia wood, this is a person who is born from God that has come into full measure of growth in Christ. This is what acacia wood is, where it's not possible to put thoughts into him or uh, birds as you know what kind of tree this was, that birds weren't able to weave their, their nests into it. However, unlike the altar of burnt offering, which was overlaid with bronze, the altar of burnt incense was overlaid with gold, and from it came horns, and the two altars also differed in size. And the f difference also was in the function of the altar of burnt offering versus the burnt incense, and the location where they were erected, and that this one, the altar of burnt incense, had a molding of gold that the altar of bronze did not have. The golden altar burnt incense was placed directly before the veil, which was before the Ark of the Testimony, before the mercy seat, which is over the testimony where God, once a year, can open himself or reveal himself to man who is clothed into the virtue of a high priest, one time a year. God revealed himself, and a person heard God's voice only one time a year when he would enter into the Holy of Holies. He was not able to enter there every day or where he, when he wanted, but only once a year, and 
he needed to very, very uh, specifically prepare himself for this. However, in the given situation, we need to be visualizing the temple of our body without the veil, separating the holy place from the holy of holies, where we, unlike the high priest of the Old Testament, who entered one time a year before the mercy seat of the golden ark, are called in the function of the altar of burnt incense made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold, we need to continuously be or abide before the mercy seat or lid of the ark so that we can continuously hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and obey this voice by listening to the words of of his messengers. At the same time, God receives the legitimate ability to continuously hear our voice. When we're talking about the altar and that this altar can only be in the temple, when a person builds himself into a temple, left spiritual infancy has been grown into full measure of growth in Christ. <clears throat> and so when <clears throat> a person is born from the, just born from the seed of the word of truth, this uh, veil continues in him and he's not able to enter into the Holy of Holies because there's a veil that's in his way. He has not died in the death of the Lord Jesus for his nation, the house of his father, and for the destructive desires of his soul. And so this veil continues to stay. He can't enter into the Holy of Holies. Considering when studying the function of the altar of burnt incense, we already studied our state and our calling in the characteristics and qualities contained in acacia wood from which it was built. Therefore, we will immediately turn to the distinctive functions identifying the golden altar of of incense which we are called to correspond to. These are the measurements of the golden altar of burnt incense, the location that this altar was placed, the gold material used to overlay the altar, and the molding of gold which was over the altar. We will continuously keep in mind the direct dependence of the golden altar of burnt incense from the bronze altar of burnt offering. Uh, the bronze altar of burnt offering. They uh, can't function independently, they function together. As they, having contrasting functions, they identify the state of the spirit of a warrior in prayer in the virtue of a king, priest, and prophet. And this dependence of the one altar to the other altar consists if the bronze altar represents the inner motives of our heart, which correspond to the will of God, where we are called to judge ourselves in accordance to the demands of the implemented by God's statutes, then the golden altar of burnt incense is the demonstration of our state, reflecting our motives before God's face, in which we are called to demonstrate the royal power of God over ourselves. There, the state was demonstrated. We, uh, we are demonstrating the state in this golden altar. The golden altar, just like the bronze altar, was square in shape, had four angles. But unlike the bronze altar, which was five cubits long and five cubits wide and three cubits high, the length and width of the golden altar of burnt incense was one cubit and the height was two cubits. We know that a square shape is perfection. A rectangular shape is not perfection. The temple was not perfect. It was rectangular. But the altar... Uh, made of acacia wood, both the bronze and the golden altar, they were uh, squared. These were perfect uh, items They were uh, that were within an imperfect temple. And gold, or symbol of gold, 
with which the altar of burnt incense was overlaid, built of acacia wood, it symbolizes within the heart of man the fulfillment of specific statutes. Paying a price, which provides God with a legitimate basis that he needs to bring about the promise of redemption in our life from the genetic inheritance of the sinful life of our fathers in the flesh. And so the bronze altar by itself, it did not deliver us from the sinful conduct of our parents. Only collaborating these two altars, one with the other, when we go from this altar to the next altar, that that is the one that gives us deliverance from the sinful conduct passed on from our parents. As it is written, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, First Peter 1, 18 through 21 And so here, we see the gold from which this uh, altar of incense was uh, or overlaid with. And so, of course, the, the altar was overlaid with physical gold, but here he's not talking about the physical gold, but the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ upon the golden altar was gold in God's eyes that redeemed us. Our collaboration with the conditions providing God with legitimate grounds to redeem us from the sinful life of our fathers consists in our reasonable and voluntary decision to separate by the cross of our Lord Jesus from our nation, the house of our Father, and from the corrupt desires of our soul. And so you need to say, Lord, right now, if someone hasn't done this yet, has not denied the sinful conduct passed on from their fathers right now, consciously and voluntarily, I reject the sinful conduct passed on to me from my fathers. I open up my heart and I accept your genetic inheritance, your life. And after such confessions of faith, you need to first be taught uh, that this sinful conduct, this is the old man who is the programmable system. He's uh, the programmable system of the genetic code of the fallen cherubim and it was passed on to us as an inheritance and it is accounted to us as sin the sins of our father uh, account are accounted, are accounted as sin toward us although we may have not committed them themselves one uh, woman uh, told me once I don't see any sins uh, that I may have committed I'm Christian since my young age and I said what about your parents and what about your grandparents and those before? And, they, and she said, what about them? Well, the, those those are imputed to you, those sins, the the sins of your parents. And he said, she said, where did you get that from? But it's written in scripture. She says, well, I don't agree. Well, you tell her it's written and she says she doesn't agree. One brother said, why are you always trying to bring forth places of scripture? And I tell him, well, it's not me who, it's you who d- dislike, uh, you dislike this. Why is it you're always tossing places of scripture at me? Because he keeps he keeps talking about prophecies and prophecies, and I keep saying, uh, it is written, it is written, it is written, and he got irritated because I kept doing this. You see how people uh, uh, treat the scriptures, They're, they... 
they forsake the scriptures and they pay attention to prophecy. And so our collaboration with the conditions, as we said again, providing God with legitimate grounds to redeem us from the sinful life of our fathers consists in our reasonable and voluntary decision to separate uh, by the cross of our Lord Jesus from our nation, the house of our fathers, and our corrupt desires, so that like Noah, we build, build an ark of salvation for ourselves in the death of the Lord Jesus, where we are crucified with Christ and can throw through the law, die for the law, so that we can live for God conjoined in the resurrection of, his, of Christ. For I through the law died in the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is righteousness. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. <clears throat> if righteousness came because of, of evangelism or gifts of the Holy Spirit, then God did, or Christ did die in vain. If salvation is for the sake of the fact that I will bear many children or a husband will be working in the sweat of his face and he's trying to earn salvation this way and and she is trying to earn by bearing children, then why do you need Jesus? Galatians 2, 19 through 21. And Episcopals actually say these kinds of things. His wife is sitting and I say, what? And he said, well, we're saving ourselves. I told, asked him how. And she said, well, by bearing children... And I asked her, what about your husband? She said, well, with sweat, the sweat of his face. And so the husband didn't like the things I was saying to her. Uh, she, she, he told her, don't listen to him. Uh, you already have salvation. You bore 11 children. The length and width of the golden altar of burnt incense being one cubit symbolizes the building a window one cubit in length within the Ark of Salvation, giving us the ability in both hardship and sorrow to not look, and this is when we're casting off our old man with his deeds, to not look at the visible, but look at the invisible, because what is visible is temporary, but what is invisible is eternal. You shall make a window for the Ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. Genesis 6.16 and so we're studying one cubit in length, the measurements. This is a living measurement. And so that's how they would measure t typically from the elbow and to the tip of your fingers. <clears throat> the elements of the pouring of the wrath of God in the thickened black clouds, pouring out opened springs, pouring waterfalls from heaven into tumultuous winds and into raging waves of water, which lifted the ark to unimaginable heights and then tossed the ark back down as if it was a small piece of driftwood for spans of many days and nights. If you can imagine for yourself, he could not see the sun, the star, the moon, stars, the moon. During the flood, you can't see the sun, the, the stars, nothing. It was dark because of the clouds and it was a very dark night. The wind was uh, uh, very strong and the waves were very high. These were deadly waves. These weren't uh, those that are 12 meters. These were the kind that probably would be 400 meters high. These Such waves sometimes happen in, in oceans and no ship is able to uh, confront it. Uh, it will destroy any ship. Uh, 
if it's 40 or 100 meters high. <clears throat> Therefore, the window that was cut at the top of the ark, measuring one cubit, was the only opening to look at the unseen hope which would happen when God decided it should or it was in His power. The ark of Noah itself symbolizes a person who is in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, every person who has this hope within his heart in the form of this window of one cubit in length during the time of great suffering, when this is the hope that we're talking about, when you're in the process of casting off your old man with his deeds, possesses the ability to look at the invisible or unseen. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills will be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. <coughs> and he speaks of her, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. This is not just artistically spoken. This is uh, a documenting uh, the state you're in when you're casting off your old man. God says, you are afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted. That means there's not a person at this time would be able to comfort you. You will feel <clears throat> absolute solitude, loneliness. The husband will speak to the wife, the wife to the husband. Why are we married? I feel so lonely. I feel so alone and I, I'm not needed. Even in intimate relationships, not even looking at that. When this happens when you're casting off the old man. You will feel, uh, you won't be able to be comforted. <clears throat> but only this hope. A symbol, a symbolic hope that is one cubit in length. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. Sapphires is the great glory of God. This is God's gl great glory. I will make your pinnacles of rubies and your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones precious stones which include also pearls you have to overcome suffering uh, and this is so that you can prove that you love me so that your faith be weighed upon the skills of justice Isaiah 54 8 through 12 considering that Noah because of the existing window in the ark that was one cubit wide during the enraged storms of water when you could not see the sun during the day and at night you cannot see not the moon not the stars and he was not able to tell when it was day or night so that he even be able to determine the amount of time he was spending in the ark but he could look at his hope which consisted of the promise of the unseen salvation of his soul and his body patiently waiting for the time of the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ 
for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. And this can happen when we build ourselves <clears throat> into the golden altar. Because if we don't build ourselves into a golden altar, we won't understand what this unseen is and how to look at it. Because God will do it or make it that the unseen or everything that is visible, if a person relied on anything that is visible to save this person, he will destroy all of this so that Abraham not trust upon the wealth that he brought out from the uh, her of the Chaldeans. He took everything from him and famine came upon him and he literally lost everything, all of his wealth. He went into Egypt because God told him to and he lived there and then he returned and only after that, only after that did God began to increase his wealth. Therefore, when our erected golden altar of burnt incense corresponds to the measurements of one cubit, we are able during great suffering when casting our old man off with his deeds to look upon the in invisible or unseen hope and such a demonstration of our hope upon God and upon his word provides God with the legitimate basis he needs to remember us so that in the time that he has established being our master he can lead us out of the death of our Lord Jesus so that he can then lead us into his resurrection he won't remember us if we won't have this window that is one cubit in length this golden uh, altar if we haven't built ourselves, he won't remember about us to be able to lead us out of death from the death of Christ then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark and God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Genesis 8, 1-16 Noah and his sons coming out of the ark, the ark representing salvation in the death of our Lord Jesus from hell, them leaving the ark signified Noah and his sons coming into the resurrection of Christ. At the same time, the height of the golden altar of burnt incense which was two, cub uh, two cubits, and so the height was two cubits. It was one cubit wide and in length and width, but it was two cubits high. It symbolizes the act of collaboration within our heart between the Thummim, consisting of the truth that is contained in our heart, and the Urim, consisting of the Holy Spirit, who reveals the meaning of the truth that is concealed within our heart. Behold, you desire truth in the inward part, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Psalm 51, 6. When you have the urm and thummim in your heart, these two witnesses, that means you have built yourself into a golden altar, uh, one cubit in length and width, and two cubits high. Height is when we... It's what uh, links uh, us to God, or our fellowship with God. If a person will not love the truth and will not accept it into his heart... <clears throat> by the preached word of the messengers of God who are clothed into the delegated fathership of God and his helpers 
God will not have any legitimate basis upon which to make his wisdom known in the heart of such a person in the revelations of the Holy Spirit who abides within the boundaries of the truth that is concealed within the heart of this person. The molding of gold crowning the golden altar of burnt incense symbolizes the rule of the grace of God within the heart of man by the grown by him fruit of righteousness that is in his heart. Which is why it was not uh, present over the uh, other altar, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, uh, Romans 5.21. And so grace might reign through righteousness, and so those say that they're under grace, it's questionable what grace you're under. You are under the guard of the law. If you were under grace, you would live a very different life. You would treat the word very differently. You would tremble before the word of God and before the one who passes it on. The four golden horns of the golden altar of burnt incense coming out of it symbolizes the boundaries of power, of our power, which outstretches within the realm of the invisible world upon the four sides of the golden altar, including the north, south, east, and west, which in these realms represents the might of God in his name horn in the width, length, depth, and height. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Again, it's speaking to the saved, and if uh, you're saved, uh, and if Christ lives in you, then why does it say that uh, Christ may dwell dwell in your hearts through faith Christ can only live in the heart of a person when a person has grown into full measure of growth in Christ for example our parents can live in our house that we build and they can become the owners of that house when we invite them and and but we need to first uh, grow up obtain the means build our house and then invite the parents into that house and tell them, I want you to be masters of this house, and I will obey you. This is just an example that I bring forth how that would be. None of us, uh, obviously, in the real world would do this. We, uh, grow, we're growing, and we want to quickly actually uh, become independent, and we feel we're not owners of a house, We, uh, and you don't want to do anything. Why? Because uh, I'm not an owner here. I don't own this place. Uh, They just tell you what to do. And so some, but as soon as a person comes out of that house, they become very different. I knew specific people that were not very clean, but as soon as they got married, they became very clean and their house is very well cared about. And, but before then not, why? because there was the relationships were not uh, well the parents need to pray for wisdom so that they can uh, uh, pretty much be in the house uh, so they're not a tyranny to the children but a child would feel uh, free and be able to do things out of love in our house we had a floor that was not painted and so to wash it Periodically, you needed to take a sand uh, and uh, you needed to take a broom and 
you needed to go through so that it would shine. And I loved my mother, and so when she would leave, I would wash it very, very good so that it shined. And so when he, she came back, she would be, she would love it, and I liked it a lot. That she, and so you make, you create a situation, an environment uh, where they like and want to do good things. If we're not uh, happy with anything that they do. The Lord always thanks you for anything good you do, and so you need to thank your children when they do something good. Uh, that way they'll be inspired to do more. I just wanted to bring forth this example, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. If we don't comprehend the uh, which passes knowledge, love, then we will not be able to be filled with the fullness of God. We will not be able to understand what this uh, width, length, depth, and height is. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Specifically, the four golden horns coming out from the golden altar of burnt incense represents the function of a prophet who executes or enforces the verdict of a judgment. The four horns is the function of a prophet. It belongs, uh, the four living creatures, if you remember, that were before the throne in Revelations. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And so this horn has a voice. This horn is the individual or an entire category of people who possess the status of this golden altar saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet and so then the sixth angel sounded i heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before god and so this golden altar was before god and this voice comes from this horn and it stands before god this golden altar and from this horn comes the voice, and it says to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, Revelations 9, 13, 14. Therefore, a person who has built himself into a golden altar of burnt incense provides God with legitimate grounds to fulfill his will upon planet Earth using the function of the voice of the four golden horns which come from the golden altar, which identified the function of a prophet within his heart. We, studying God's name, Horn, we will talk about the sixth angel later, and not just the sixth one. I just brought forth the sixth one that the voice to show that the voice comes from the horn, and this altar stands before God, and the voice comes from there. The voice It hears the heart of God and speaks. God does everything only using man. And we will study literally beginning from the first uh, uh, angel because uh, the first trumpet and all the seven trumpets, these are the result of the four horns that we build ourselves into. So we understand these two uh, are connected with one another. Eighth, the name of God Horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in the Horn of Jubilee, which they needed to sound during the feasts of the Lord and when leading battles. 
Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of a psalm, with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. Psalm 98, 4 through 9. It's interesting that here it's speaking where it says uh, the earth and the rivers and and the sea and everything. that's And then it says he's coming to judge the earth. Here it's talking about our own earth, so that our own earth rejoice. We have this uh, sea, these these rivers, and uh, hills, and so we are called to rejoice because God is coming to judge the earth upon which we live. First function of the horn of jubilee within the Eden of our heart, within the fruit of the feast of the Pentecost where we have received the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life, gave the Holy Spirit the legitimate right to clothe us into the virtue of the liberty of Christ, where we have been delivered from the, from the slavery of the law of Moses, as well as the slavery of our sinful corrupt desires, to which the law gave legitimate power to rule over our body. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor or uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Galatians uh, 5, 1 through 6. The function of the horn of Jubilee, it only sounded during the time of the feast of, of the Pentecost where a person was able to return back to his home and he uh, all his debts were covered. And so this is when we, not when we speak or receive the gifts of, of speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but when we receive uh, the individual Holy Spirit, then do we become free from the power of governing sin in our body. Only when, then do we return to our own land that had been sold. Because we being infants, we were given an inheritance, but we sold it. Being carnal men, we resisted the truth. We did not agree with it. Well, I don't understand this. Upon what grounds are you saying this? And so, the function of the Horn of Jubilee, we're talking about the Jubilee, Horn of Jubilee, that only a priest was able to blow. The second function of the Horn of Jubilee within the Eden of our heart, within the fruit of the Feast of the Pentecost, where we have received the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life, gave the Holy Spirit the right to destroy the stronghold of false or pseudo-righteousness in the form of pseudo-Jericho within our heart and our mind. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when your heart, or when you hear and 
the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Uh, Jericho is a city of righteousness, city of palm trees. The palm tree is a symbol of righteousness, Joshua 6, 5. And so why did God destroy the city if it was called a city of palm trees, city of righteousness? Because the righteousness they had was not that righteousness that God wanted to see. And so because of that, he destroyed this false righteousness. And so when the horn of Jubilee will be, you will sound the horn of Jubilee within our heart. This is when we are grown into full measure of growth and we come out of spiritual infancy and we receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. And then we can uh, sound this trump, uh, horn of, of Jubilee. Uh, this is the Feast of the Pentecost when we receive the Holy Spirit into our heart. And then we are able to uh, sound this horn of Jubilee. We can proclaim who God is to us or who we are in Jesus Christ. And then the city of Jericho falls. It is destroyed. False righteousness is destroyed because we begin to confess the, the true righteousness. And what was in our mind, the understanding of righteousness to evangelize, to practice spiritual gifts, to pray for long periods of time, to fast. Fasting is good and praying is good, but in spirit and in truth, you need to do this. But people don't understand how to worship in spirit and in truth. They think that if they pray for hours in tongues, that this is good, this is bad because you don't understand what you're doing, you're not in the state uh, to pray in such uh, such an amount of time for hours. You need to pray with your mind also. And so when the horn of Jubilee sounds, then we in tongues, when the Holy Spirit comes, we begin to speak such things that will deliver us. We won't be able to say it with our own mouth, uh, using our mind. Only when the Holy Spirit comes to us as Lord and Master, then we, in tongues, are able to sound this uh, horn of Jubilee. Because this is a supernatural sound. It is liberty from the old man. He will not obey if we just say it with our own mouth as is. We need tongues in this uh, horn of Jubilee, and we need to... uh, Joshua says, when you hear, shout with a loud voice. When I sound this horn of Jubilee, the the priests will need to, and then the the rest of the nation will shout very loud. And this work uh, of the the horn and the shouting of the people destroyed this uh, false righteousness because the old man has created a stronghold of false righteousness in the heart of man. And it's founded or based upon the law of Moses and gives power to sin. And so you're not fulfilling the law of Moses. You're you're doing good work. You're giving a, lo- a lot of money away in the name of the Lord. He's convincing a person. You can't purchase God with money. You can honor God with tithes and offerings. It is good to understand what you're doing. And it is good to seek the Lord in these offerings third function of the horn of jubilee 
within the Eden of our heart, within the fruit of the Feast of the Pentecost, where we have received the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life, gave the Holy Spirit the ability to silence both within our body as well as out of our body the noise of the seas, the noise of the waves, and the tumult of the peoples. Let us read this place of scripture. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. To dwell in his courts, you need to be the temple of the Lord with all of its possessions, all belongings, uh, to build yourself into a bronze altar and into a golden altar so that they work with one the other, so that the voice Uh, The voice will never come from the bronze altar. The voice will come from the golden altar, the horn of the golden altar. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. And this goodness, this is the word that you hear and I hear. This is the word of God, the preached word, and this is the goodness of your house. We'll be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of your waves, and the tumult of the peoples. We're saying that you're the confidence of of the ends of the earth. It's not talking about physically people living on this earth and those that are uh, far off at the far off seas that it's referring to here. These are people who are whose direction is God. You're either walking or you're swimming toward it, whatever you may say, in this case as of the seas or the earth. Uh, <clears throat> and so the path that he has placed, he Uh, has silenced the noise of the seas, noise of the waves. These are these evil thoughts, the noise of our emotions that uh, are so loud sometimes that we can't do anything. We need to immediately fulfill them. It's not not talking about physically on earth, but it's talking about us together. Uh, Why does God need to uh, silence the noise of the seas and waves, they it, it continues as it was. He's just showing an example here. And each of us have the sea uh, and its noise are uh, the noise of its waves. And so God will silence it when we come close to God. And because we collaborate with God as this golden altar, God will silence this noise. Fourth function of the horn of Jubilee within the Eden of our heart, within the fruit of the Feast of the Pentecost, where we have received the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life, gave the Holy Spirit the right to destroy the seed and the fruit of the old man within our body, who intends evil against the Lord within our heart. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. 
their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men, for they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Psalm 21, 8 through 13. We will sing the horn of your salvation is what it's uh, referring to here. Everything is done uh, here uh, using this horn of jubilee because it proclaims liberty from the enemies that are in our body as well as enemies out of our body. That is what it's referring to here. Ninth, the name of God, horn, called to demonstrate itself in the Eden of our heart, in the might and glorious power of God, makes itself known in the collaboration of our horn with the horn of God when dedicating your first fruit to God. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Pay attention here. She is a woman. She's not a man. But she's saying, My horn is exalted in the Lord. She's fulfilling here the male function. She's stating the seed of the word. She's proclaiming. Many men do not speak. They are silent. But many women are proclaiming the faith of the heart. This male function they're fulfilling. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And salvation is only in the horn of salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out, out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has, who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash. <clears throat> from the ash heap to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them he will guard the feet of his saints but the wicked shall be silent in darkness for my strength for by by strength no man shall prevail the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven he will thunder against them the Lord will judge the ends of the earth he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 11. This is the prayer of Hannah, the wife of Elkanah, when she was dedicating her son Samuel to the Lord forever. She fed him, she breastfed him, she made clothing for him, and she brought him to Eli, and she told him, remember what you told me. This is the child that God gave me. You said God will give me a child. And I promised that I would give him to the Lord. And I come and I bring him and I give it to give him to you. And annually Hannah would come and she came she didn't come continuously. She only came when it's time to worship uh, to Jerusalem. And she always prepared a new garment because the child continued to get older and the garments would get sm become small and so he she would bring him a new garment 
this means to discipline your children in the teaching, the discipline of the Lord. This is what it means to prepare or sew a new robe, clothing. This is not talking about our children in the flesh. This, this is talking about our first fruit. According to the meaning contained in the given place of Scripture, the firstborn of Hannah, in the form of her first fruit, dedicated to God as a Nazarite, was her horn, which was exalted in God, with which she was exalted above the horns of her enemies. The name Samuel, which Hannah gave to her firstborn son on the eighth day, the, the day he was circumcised, contained two meanings. Samuel, in Hebrew, Shemuel, heard by God and one who hears God. Not just one who is heard by God, but also one who hears God. The name Samuel finds its place and demonstrates itself in the name Methuselah, driving away death or forcing death away. The firstborn of Enoch, which is why his horn was exalted over his enemies who live within his body. Therefore, the first fruit, which is our horn in God, with which we are exalted over our enemies in the form of death, living within our body in the form of governing sin, is our ability to hear God and to be heard by God. It is interesting that in Hebrew the phrase to exalt yourself with your horn in God possesses the following constants or identifications, and these are to rejoice in God with your heart, exalt your horn above the horn of your enemies, smile at your enemies, make your enemies flee, grow hair, and this is so that you could take upon yourself uh, the reproach uh, of Christ. They won't fall upon us if we will not be a Nazarite that grows hair upon. And hair is a symbol that we acknowledge of ourselves, God's delegated authority. Receive help from God. Be delivered from death by destroying it within your body. Be lifted from the ash heap. Rejoice about salvation in the Lord. Be girded with the strength of the Lord. And so that is to gird the loins of your mind with the truth. The fruit of our spirit in our ability to hear God and be heard by God indicates the fact that within the temple of our body, two witnesses exist who stand before the God of all the earth. First witness is the in the form of the Thummim, which is the undamaged truth which is concealed within our heart, and the second witness in the form of the Urim, who is the Holy Spirit, who reveals the meaning of the truth that is concealed within our heart. By the means of the erected by God, horn from our body in the name Samuel which we discover also in the name Methuselah we receive the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit because Noah was able to walk before God only after he bore or Enoch before he uh, uh, was able to walk before God before before he bore uh, Methuselah which in turn gives us the ability to walk before God waiting for a son from heaven who delivers us from the present evil generation or age dedicating your first fruit to the Lord which is the dedication of ourselves to the Lord this is our horn which is exalted in our God with which we are exalted over the horns of our enemies in the form of our old man with his deeds and understandably dedicating yourself to the Lord comes after sanctifying yourself by dying for your nation, the house of your father, and for the corrupt desires of your soul, separating yourself from these three institutions of power representing the horn of our enemies, and we are exalted in God with our horn over their horns. Over the enemies, the horns of our nation, the horn of our, the house of our father, and <clears throat> the horn of our old man, the corrupt desires. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate, that means separate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Exodus 13, 1-2 Every time we separate what is holy from our house in the form of tithes and offerings, which are within our possession belong, but belong to God, we are exalted with our horn over the horns of the demonic prince Mammon, who previously, in the form of governing sin, ruled within our body. If you can imagine, properly bringing your tithes can erect our horn, exalted over the old man who lives within our body and the horns of our enemies who surround us. And this is not all. Our horn, which is exalted in God, is partaking in the promise of the Feast of the Pentecost, where we obtain liberty or freedom from slavery of the law of Moses and we partake in the liberty of Christ where we receive the ability to dedicate the first fruit to God in the form of ourselves as two wave loaves or an example of two wave loaves and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering the seventh, uh, seventh Sabbath shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. Leviticus 23, 15-17. The symbol of the first fruit in the form of the two wave loaves within our essence is the salvation of our soul and our body since our spirit in its nature, in its essence, is already a wave loaf. The thing is that in the symbol of the Feast of the Pentecost, we are presented in the virtue of a new of new dough, which has the leaven of the kingdom of heaven mixed into it, in the form of the received by us justification, which having leavened the entire lump, we receive justification as a possession in the format of righteousness. <laughs> to bring yourself to God in the form of the two baked wave loaves means confirm within God the salvation of your soul and your body, which themselves represent these two wave loaves. That there, the kingdom of heaven is already uh, has been already erected. Therefore, receiving the promise of salvation for your soul and for your body is your lump receiving leaven. At the same time, a fully leavened lump of dough is the confirmation of the accepted by his promise, the salvation of our soul and our body, in which the stronghold of life has been erected, representing our horn that is exalted in God. Amen. Let us bend our knees and our heads however you are able, and we will thank God for the words that we were able to receive today, that he give us the ability, the opportunity to confirm these things, establish them in our heart. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the word that is powerful, that is unique, that has been presented today in the golden altar. And the horns that we see salvation, in which we see salvation, thank you that you have made us this this horn of jubilee, that you've made us this ark of the covenant, that you've allowed us to be built into the temple of the Holy Spirit with all of its belongings. I pray, may this great word 
and its great mystery. May it be established in the hearts of your people who have heard it. May they comprehend it with their heart and may they rejoice in you so that their horn may be exalted over the horns of their enemies so that our horn would be exalted over illnesses, weaknesses, losses, suffering, any kind of reproach so that you show the might of your horn when we will be accepting or receiving this reproach. Thank you that for this wonderful, great, and mysterious word that you have trusted us with. And we worship before the throne of your word, our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we proclaim our manifestation, I would like to call out our brother uh, Yuri, if you can please come out. About a year ago, he was expelled for uh, sins. He began to cry, uh, and I told him, you need to bear fruit of repentance, and fruit is time. I gave him a year, and I told him, within a span of a year, if you continue to be in a faithful state, you won't sin with the types of sins he was doing, and you will continue to be faithful and continue to be in the service, you will be able to restore your membership. A year has passed. Uh, he's come to me many times, waiting for this time, waiting for this deliverance. I want us to understand God's mercy. Our memory may remember things, but Right now, when we will accept him as a member, God will blot it out of his memory, his sins. I want in our minds, in our memory, this sin be blotted out and we accept him as if he has never done it before. Let us pray. Let's stretch out our hand and we will pray and we'll accept him Heavenly Father, we thank you for this holy person who had fallen uh, into the sin that he had committed, but he has repented the fr and brought forth this fruit of repentance. According to your word, I proclaim the blotting out of these sins and the forgiveness of these sins. May it be upon him and cover him, and may he be blessed before your face and before the nation. We thank you that you have not destroyed him but have kept him may your mercy be upon us and him our great god son and holy spirit amen we congratulate you and now 
Let her proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.